Today's message has the potential for all of us if we receive this promise, if we were willing to give this promise to others, if we were willing to take it and believe it, it could really impact the relationship that you have with your wife, with your husband, the workplace, friendships. It could change the whole trajectory of your life. It could change the way you view God and view others. It's probably the most difficult of the promises that we've looked at. It probably will cause you to really rethink and think again. How is it even possible? And you will find yourself looking at this and thinking, this is illogical. Like, this doesn't even compute. But let me pull away and share the promise with you, and then we'll explain it out throughout the message. Here's a promise from God to us. God will not remember our sins no more. Now, I want you to process that for a second. When we confess and ask for forgiveness and repent, he promises to not remember our sins anymore. That's an incredible promise from God. It's more difficult for us not to remember them and those of others than it is for God to choose not to remember ours. Let me ask you a few questions before we move on too quickly. Answer these questions in your mind as an individual. Think of someone who has gossiped against you. Think of someone who has left you. Think of someone who has hurt your feelings. Think of someone who has let you down. Think of someone who has committed adultery. Think of someone who has spoke poorly about you. Think of someone who owes you money. Think of someone who didn't follow through with the promise they made to you. Think of someone who has stolen from you. All those things and all those people, probably for the majority of us, people came to mind. And maybe if you're not careful or you haven't worked through these issues or you haven't given yourself a chance to process, you still might carry resentment. You might have anger. You might even have hatred. You might have some regret. But let me give you God's perspective. Those people that came to mind that did those things potentially to you and around you, if they asked God for forgiveness and they repented of their sins and confessed it to God, God doesn't even remember their sins anymore. Process that for a second. There's some confliction there, isn't there? God himself, who is omniscient, has the ability to know all and does know all, chooses not to remember the sins of those who have repented and confessed and asked for forgiveness, yet we often do. And if we're not careful, we'll let those sins continue to rob us of joy, to rob us of moving on, and we'll end up in prisons ourselves because of what other people have done to us who have moved on and we have yet to move on from it. There's an example of this in Scripture. Some of you are very familiar with it. Some of you haven't looked as closely as we will today. And some of you will look at this and think, that's just illogical. That, there's just no way that's even humanly possible. It's just ill, 
logical grace that God would ask someone to do this and then for someone to follow through and do it is a picture of what I started with, that God will not remember our sins anymore. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. And as you find that and are turning there, I encourage you to stand with us as we all read God's word together. Hosea chapter 1. And let's read verses 1 to 3. Would you stand together with me as you find that and as we read God's word together? Hosea chapter 1. Please, everyone stand. Hosea chapter 1 as we read God's word together. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Would you read it with me, please? Ready, read. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. You may have a seat. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17 says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says that he chooses or will not remember our sins as far as the east is from the west. Grace has a short memory. Process that. Grace, God's grace, and we should have grace, has a short memory. Right away as we jump into this text in the Old Testament, Hosea is a prophet of the Lord. God comes to him and speaks to him. Often he would come and God would speak to him and then God would speak to the people. But this time God spoke to Hosea and says, go marry an adulterous, promiscuous woman. So we see, in fact, it says God told him to do it. That meant that she probably was an adulterous woman probably present active or even prior to him meeting her, her purity had already been taken. I love this picture of grace here. Hosea was a prophet and prophets were supposed to be God's voice to mankind. They were instruments that God had chosen because of their faithfulness and having hearts for him. So God would search the earth and often grab a man and say, I want you to be a prophet because your heart is leaned towards me. But God is now looking at him. Go and marry a promiscuous woman. Go and marry a woman of adultery. So we see that Hosea, no hesitation, the next text says he marries her and he probably thought since God told him to do this that she would never return to her formal ways. He believed the best in her and he followed his God. But here's the deal with God. If, if you've been a follower for God for a period of time, with God, and it should be the same with us, God saw potential in Gomer in this woman and forgot about her past. He had wiped it clean and now it's a striking example of love and Hosea is about to do the same. He is just going to make the most of his day with love and grace to this woman. It's the same thing that God does for us. He breathes life into people that most think are dead. Have you ever met someone, and I have, and I'm sure you have, and maybe you're trying to bridge a relationship with them and tell them about Jesus, and so you begin talking to them and they say, wait, wait a minute, you have no idea what I have done. You have no idea where I have walked. You have no idea what my past 
looks like. And then they'll say, there is no way God would ever want me because of this past. There is no way I have done too much wrong for God to ever. And so in their mind, they're assuming I need to get cleaned up before God would ever consider me. Ever meet someone like that? Yeah, I've met hundreds and probably thousands of people like that in my lifetime. Because in their minds, they have to do things to get to God. Yet when God saves us, he meets us at our very worst, and we don't have to clean ourselves up. He accepts us in the armpit of sin, and by his grace, we are saved. And he's looking at this woman and saying, Hosea, I want you to go and marry this woman who is living and has lived a lifestyle of promiscuity. Can you imagine the wedding, by the way? Or even the announcement of the engagement as it was posted in the paper on social media. Engage. And you're a follower of of Hosea. And as you dial right through your timeline, it's like, oh, wait a minute. There it is. Engaged. Like, finally, Hosea is such a good man. He's He's a godly man. And boy, he's spoken to us. He's been single for way long. And finally it says, he's, who's he marrying? Like, who is it? And Gomer. What? I don't, I don't know her. And so you click on Gomer, the hyperlink, and you go to the page. It's like, whoa. You scroll down. Whoa. Look at her friends. Whoa. She's been here, places she has visited, places she has been. And before you realize it, she is a woman of the streets. And you're like, wait a minute. What is up with Hosea? And yet Hosea is saying, I am doing what God had called me to do. You see, grace knows your deepest secrets, but it never looks away. Aren't you glad, though? Aren't you glad when God looks at you that he doesn't look away and say, you've done too much, it's too, your past is too checkered? But God, in his grace, when he looks at us, he knows our deepest, darkest, and he still extends his love and grace to us. Hosea was willing to deal with the baggage of Gomer's past. Make no mistakes. They will have difficult days ahead, Absolutely. Will there be moments of doubt? Absolutely. But life is short and God is calling you to do more than what you ever thought you would do. And if God has called you to it, he'll help you through it. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So they get married and they begin to have kids. Look at these kids in verse four and five. It says, verse four, then the Lord said to Hosea the prophet, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Let me just give you a little Old Testament history about names. During this time, People were very familiar with names. In fact, when you named your child, you would name your child this name, often in this time during Hebrew, in Hebrew, because you would then begin to pray that over your child. So whatever you named your child, it had rich meaning to it that you would pray that your child would become that person. I was taking Hebrew at Grace Seminary, and, and Hannah was born, and when Josh was born and Isaiah was born, we prayed specifically for names that we wanted our children to become. And so as Anna and I looked through names, our 
trek wasn't tr- wasn't trying to find a cool spelling wasn't trying to kind of find a name that's cool or that's new or whatever we looked for names that we wanted to be on our kids and so we have been praying that Joshua and Hannah and Isaiah the Hebrew names what it means that in the original yes, yesterday morning I got up and I prayed their names over their lives during this time the same was true and so Jezreel when they heard the name First grade, this child, this boy went to school, and the teacher goes through the name list, Jezreel, and everyone looked like, judgment's coming upon you, dude. It's like they knew the name. And so Hosea's like, you're giving me a son where the judgment of God is coming on him? You told me to marry a promiscuous. Like, God, what are you up to? So as he processes more, God scatters, literally means God's judgment is coming. It gets worse. Another child comes in verse 6, and it says this. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horsemen or horses, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. In other words, now the daughter is born, this precious girl is born, and Hosea is saying, God, you're giving me birth with Gomer and I together to a child, a daughter, that will not be loved. And so every day in school, on the playground, as she went out and played, they would yell for Lo Ruhama, and everyone laughed, she's not going to be loved. Hosea is like, I've been faithful to you. God, what are you doing to me? I will no longer love you. Things began to unravel here in the text for Hosea and Gomer. And I believe if we inject some understanding of what we read here, Gomer begins to wander here. Hosea was left at home by himself with the judgment babies, and it was too much for Gomer to handle, and so she returned to her old habits. Instead of working this out, Hosea poured himself into his prophet job, Gomer into hers, and they were going in different directions. And instead of reminding themselves of their vows that they had just began to give up on, they began to go in opposite directions. And I wonder how many times during this time as they, they heard about Gomer on the streets, they would see Hosea walking with his children and say, we told you, you should have never married her. Didn't you know her past and her history? Uh, we were surprised when we saw the engagement on Facebook. We can't believe you followed through. What are you doing with that woman? You deserve it. It's your fault. And as he walked, he could see the whispers and the stares across the street, yet he still believed that God had called him to this marriage with this woman so they have another child look at verse 8 look what happens in verse 8 it says after she had weaned lo ruhama gomer had another son come on it's got to be a good son huh then the lord said call him lo ami which means not my people for you are not my people and i am not your god It's the worst kind of news that any husband could ever receive. Think about this for a second. This child, this low Ami, was most likely not even his own son. It was a child that was conceived with her living in adultery and promiscuity. 
And so now God comes to him and says, not only is you having a son, it's not even your child, but you're going to raise that child as if it's your own child. Picture this for a second. You talk about a marriage going south, judgment baby, a, a child girl that's not going to be saved. And as he held her at night, he would think, why won't this precious child, daughter of mine, be loved? The third child, Lo Amni, that's there, he says, this isn't even my child. God, what are you doing? I'm going to dump her and run. You talk about hardship, this would have broke the camel's back. In fact, in chapter 2, in verses 4 and 5, it says this, I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace, she said, and I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. She was leaving Hosea for other men to provide for her. Hosea is home alone wondering about his calling as a prophet. Can I still be a prophet with all this? Screaming to heaven, God, where are you? Have you ever been there? Did I really hear from you? And why would you set me up with this mess, God? You see, it's in these moments where you and I, our commitment to Jesus and God is challenged. It is in these moments we do things that only God can enable us to do. And I would say that it's in these moments where grace is the greenhouse for the impossible. So what will Hosea do? Will he just remain bitter and curse God? Will he die a bitter old man or will he hope for better days? Yet my Bible says that our God can do the impossible. He can do immeasurably more than we're asking or imagining. And God can make impossible things possible. Jesus' blood is the only detergent that can permanently remove the stain of sin in our lives and the stain of the sin in Gomer's life. But you know what normally happens? Here's what happens. We call up our friends, say, hey, can I meet for breakfast? Can I meet for lunch? Can I come over to your office? Can we go for a walk? This is what she's doing, or this is what he's doing. What do you think I should do? And if you're not careful, advice is cheap, by the way. You can get advice at the water cooler at work, and you can get it in the break room at your office. You can get advice from anywhere, but always remember this. The advice you get, the person that gives you to you, doesn't have to live with the consequences of it. You have to live with it. So you should go to godly people. And what often happens is, here's what happens. Yeah, I understand, I understand. If I were you, I would do this because I know how hard it is. And by the way, they deserve this and they deserve that. What we need to do instead of listening to the, 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 the people out there in the marketplace, the voice you need to listen to is the Holy Spirit of God. So it goes something like this. Your heart gets hard. You're tired, you can't go on, and you just want to get rid of the problem. And if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you could end up in a worse place than what you were where you found yourself in that moment. You see, God does for us what no one else can do. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says, he will forgive us as far as the east is from the west. That says, let's move on. Life is short. Let's make the best of our remaining days. Have you ever wondered why God chooses not to remember our sins as far as the east is from the west and not the north from the south? 
Like, why doesn't he remember our sins as far as the north and the south? Well, just think about it. We have a north pole and we have a south pole, but we don't have an east pole and a west pole. And if you were to travel north, if you kept going north, due north, sooner or later, you would reach the north pole. And by the time you got to the North Pole, there is a north. And by the time you left the North Pole and headed south, you eventually have found the place you were headed south. And you could find the South Pole. But when you go west and you keep going west, you never go east because there isn't an East Pole. And so God is saying, when you go east, you never go west because there's not an east pole. And you just continue to go on and on or on and on. And God chooses not to remember our sins as far as the east is from the west. Can you get an amen for that? That's an incredible promise. But boy, do we. We remember it as soon as you leave the house. (laughs) We remember it the next morning when you get up. We remember and even text you. We remember when you do it again and say the last time you did this. And God says, I have chosen to not remember those who have confessed and asked for forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever considered this perspective? You see, we do remember and you remember When we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and I would say, and choose not to remember them as far as the east from the west. So when you and I commit that same sin the hundredth time, we remember. So we get on our knees, and some of us beat ourselves up, and we should be broken before God because it hurts the heart of God. But if we're not careful, we're there again. God, I'm sorry. Here I am again with the same thing, God. God, I can't believe that I did it again. And he looks down from heaven and says, what are you talking about? This is the first time you've done it. That's how God sees us. And when we can see ourselves the way God sees us, covered with the righteousness of Jesus, we live victoriously instead of a defeated life. So Hosea has to deal with some tough stuff here. He finds his wife and his marriage at a place he would have never dreamt of. I mean, it was so different when they gave their vows to each other. But I love what Hosea does next. He fights back. He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel. He fights for his wife. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, he will get criticism. Yes, he will get advice that the water cooler says run. And the roads ahead will be tough, but he doesn't post on Facebook all the things that she has done wrong. He doesn't keep reminding everyone else of how she left him and letting the world know through social media. He just moves on and he still tries to love her unconditionally. Maybe you need to humbly ask for forgiveness for something. Maybe you are the innocent victim And you need to go to the leftover box of love and just dump it out. I wonder how his children felt as mom walked away one more time. Look what Hosea does next. Chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says this. Chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says this. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She begins to wonder, will he take me back? 
Yet at some point, he went to one of her lover's houses, and look what he did. Look here. I know this doesn't make human sense, but this is what grace does. And this is what the God's grace has done for us. He goes to a lover's house, knocks on the door. He gives her silver and gold and gifts because the dude that's in the house, he only wants her for sex. And he st- she's still his wife and his call on his life is to protect and provide. So he hands this dude gifts and says, here, this is for my wife. She needs food. She needs cared for. And he goes back home to his children. Who in their right mind would ever do that? That's what God does for us every single day. You see, we're able to receive that and say, thank you, Lord. But for us to ever consider having that kind of grace towards someone else. But aren't we Christians, little Christ, who are supposed to mirror the image of God? And in mirroring the image of God, we live like he lives towards us. That's what Hosea is choosing to do. Let me ask this. When is the last time you trusted God with unthinkable grace given to, to, to some undeserving person? But for some of us, we end up here and we say, I'm moving to someone who wants me. I've tried my best. 15 years of misery is just too much. If I had known this, I would have never said yes. Well, I don't really love him anymore, but since I don't love him, then I'm not committed to him. Grace says, today is a new day, and as far as your sin goes, I'm starting fresh. I love you with an everlasting love. See, there's no end to God's grace for us. As I read this earlier this week, I wonder how often we are Gomer and God is Hosea. He keeps bringing us back. He keeps knocking on the door of our sin closets and of our secret places and offering us grace and hope and protection and love because that's the commitment that he has made to us. And even though we're at a place where we shouldn't be with our thoughts and our action, God knocks on the door and says, I love you, I love you, I provide, I'll provide. And only grace can do that. Hebrews 4.16, because of that, says this, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that grace and mercy are waiting for us. You see, we often see God this way. We see God as going to the principal's office. And when you go to the principal's office and you've had to go to the principal's office, what's the reason you don't have to go? Because you're in trouble. So we see the throne room of God as judgment. I'm going to get beat up. God's going to beat me up. God's going to make me do this. God's going to do that. But the Hebrews 4, 16 says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence boldly. I love that picture there, to receive mercy from him. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace to us. And literally, it's, it's I'm here to do something for you. And the word confidence means with freedom of speech, no shame. In other words, we have a VIP pass to go to God. We find mercy. We get out of trouble in the nick of time when we go to God. Watch what happens next. Chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, it says this. Hosea says, okay, okay, God. I'm in. 
Verse 14 says, therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. He says, I am going to go back and I'm going to relove her. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to rail on her. I'm not going to beat her up with words. I'm not going to remind her of all the things she's done against me. I'm just going to gently and tenderly love her. And you're saying, how is that even possible? Let me tell you something. That's what God does for you and me every single day of our lives. Look at verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says this. I will betroth you to me forever, Hosea says to Gomer. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. It's such a beautiful picture of processing through love and grace. In the Old Testament, it's a sad picture in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, when someone would commit adultery, the husband of the bride, the, the lady would be brought out into the street. And the husband would go and get a round stone the size of a baseball. And then all the people, the righteous people of the day would gather around this woman. And if she was caught in adultery, the husband would be the first to throw the stone and literally try to hit his wife in the head and crush her skull because she had committed adultery. And then everyone else would literally throw these rocks and they would watch her head explode and she would scream for help and she would literally die in front of them on the dusty road of adultery. That's what the law of the day said. And God says, no, you bring her back and you give her grace because that's the kind of God that I am. The problem with us is this, and I've said this and it's so applicable to this message. We tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. So what's he do? Chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. And by the way, the word again in the original means again. And it means again and again and again. It means frequently, often, repeatedly, continually. Frequently, often, repeatedly, continually. Frequently, often, repeatedly, continually. So what's he do? Verse 2, here's what it says. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. No hesitation. He does what God wants him to do. He jumps in and he buys her back. Can you picture this for a second? During this day, they would have a, literally a, a, an auction block. And they would have an auctioneer and they would bring people in. And these people would be brought in as slaves. And slaves would come in as you would see cattle today that are auctioned. And a person would come in and they would say, next, what's her name? And they looked down, oh, her name is Gomer. What's her history? It's a woman that, that ran away from her husband. It's a woman who left her three kids at home. And she's coming back. She's at the lowest of lowest. And people would be out there and the auctioneer 
would begin a price, five shekels, 10 shekels, 10, 20 shekels. And so they would bid until the highest bid. And when the highest bid was given, the, the auctioneer would drop his gavel and he'd say, this person is yours. Picture this day. Can you imagine how Hosea felt and how Gomer felt? God, you want me to go and buy her back at the auction block after all that she's done to me? Yes, I do. I want you to extend her grace. So he grabs the kids and he says, we're going to the auction block. Dad, why are we going to the auction block? Well, just come. He grabs his son and his daughter and the illegitimate child and he loves them and he brings them with them and he stands at the back of the auction and in walks Gomer. Shoulders slumped, eyes down, and the auctioneer begins five, ten. And she hears this guy from the back, ten in the back. Someone bids again, fifteen in the back. And finally he says, sold. And she's like, okay, I'll take whatever I get, God. I'll, I'm just happy to be somewhere. I deserve the worst. I done this. And as she looks up to see who it is that has purchased her, she looks she sees a familiar face and she looks again and here comes Hosea in tow with her three children buying her back with love and grace. Who would ever do that? God does it for us every single day. And aren't you glad? His grace covers us. Consider again what Jesus does with our sin. I want you to process for me a second. I did a word search this week just to see what God does with our sin unless you forget what, how he is a God of grace. And here are multiple ways that God takes care of our sin. And if you're a note taker, I think you want to write these down and just meditate on these. But here are ways that God takes care of our sin. The first one is found in Psalm chapter 32 and verse 1. It says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. So literally, God forgives us of our transgressions. The word forgiven literally means, think about this, it means to lift off. And so it literally, when we take our baggage and we take our sin to the cross, and as we carry it before God, and we say, God, I'm sorry. He literally, at the cross, it says he lifts it off. He takes that burden that we carried and he lifts it off. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian goes to the cross, it says that his sins are lifted off. And then it says that, that his sins are rolled away from the cross, literally rolled away, lifted off, and they end up in the empty tomb where the tomb is empty because God himself, Jesus Christ, overcame death and sin and was resurrected. There is life again for that sinful person. So the first thing that he does, he forgives our transgressions. In Psalm 32.1 and Romans 4.7, it says he covers our sins. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
It's literally that God comes when we confess and repent of our sin, we bring it before God and say, God, here it is. Literally, here's what God metaphorically does. He covers our sins with the righteousness of Jesus so that when he looks down on us, it's the sin isn't there, but it's the righteousness of Jesus covers our sins. What else does he do for our sin? Psalm 32 and verse 2 and Romans 4 and verse 9 or verse 8 says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He does not charge us with the iniquity of our sin. It's a bookkeeping term. In other words, when we come to the cross, we bring our sins to the cross, we confess and repent, we don't come to him. He says, you owe me. There's a cost. And so we pull out our charge card and say, here, here, charge it on my account. He says, no, I've taken your sin. There's no charge. You are free. You are, the books are clear. I covered the debt of your sin at the cross. What else does he do? Psalm 103, verse 12, and John 129 said, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. John 129 says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So visually, think about this. When he removes our sins, you could bring out the best possible set of binoculars, and you could look as far east as you want it to, and you could continue to look and look, and you could scan and scan, and you could look as far as west as you could, and you could try to find it, but you will not see your sin because he has forgiven us as far as the east is from the west. It's an incredible picture of God's grace. What else does he do? Psalm 51, 1 and 2 and Isaiah 1, 18 says, he washes away our guilt and cleanses us from our sin. Literally, the text says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He literally takes our sin and the stains and he removes them. He removes the sin with a permanent cleansing. His blood is the only detergent that removes our sin. He says, you are clean. I remove that sin. Isaiah 38, 17 says he throws all of our sins behind his backs. The verse actually says it this way. You have put my sins behind me. So when we come to God with our sins, we bring the backpack of shame and guilt and sin. When we come before him and we kneel and repent, he takes our sin from us. He puts it behind his back. He hides it behind him and he opens our arms and hands with grace and says, come, you who have been freed from the baggage of your sin and I will eat with you. Puts it behind his back. Isaiah 44, 22 and Isaiah 43, 25 says, I have swept away the offenses like a cloud. He sweeps our transgressions. Visually, think about this. When you kneel and repent, God literally, here's what he does. You bring the sins, you know what he does? He sweeps them away, praise God. That's what God does for you and me. I love this one. He cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7, 
verses 18 and 19 says, you will tread on our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love this picture. We bring our sins to God, literally bring them to him. He says, you will tread them underfoot He says, then you will toss them to the depths of the sea. So we bring it to him. And what does he do? He takes them and he tosses them to the depths of the sea. What an incredible picture of God's grace. And then it says this. In Colossians 2.14, he nails our sins to the cross. Colossians 2.14 says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness and takes it away and he nails our sins to the cross. So every time you confess, think about it, you bring your, your sins to God and literally he takes them and when you bring them to the cross, he nails them to the cross, never again to be dealt with again because you are free because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. Listen, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we do, we walk in victory and not in self-condemnation. Can you picture him 20 years later, Hosea and Gomer, walking on the shoreline of the, the Dead Sea, holding hands? And Gomer runs ahead, and she takes some water, and she kicks it on Hosea, and she splashes him, and she runs out into the water, and he goes running after her, and they fall in the water together, and the water is falling all over, and they look at each other and think, where would we be without the love and grace of God. Can you picture 30, 40 years later when Hosea and Gomer in their 80s and they're seated at the table and they hear a knock at the door and in walks their son and daughter with grandkids and in walks the grandkids with kids, great-grandkids and they're seated at the table and the older sons say, Dad, Mom, Tell them the story. Tell them the story of grace. Give them hope for the future. Let them know what you have done through the power of God and what God has done. Don't die before you tell them. And they tell the story of love and grace to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. People need the grace of God. All of us have experienced all this every single day of our lives. Let me ask you the same questions I opened this message with. Think of someone who has gossiped against you, who has left you, who has hurt your feelings, who has let you down, who has committed adultery, who has spoken poorly about you, who 
owes you money, who didn't follow through with commitment, who broke a promise to you, who has stolen from you, my God will do this for them because of his grace. He chooses not to remember our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh God, help us. God, I know this is not easy. And humanly, we cannot do this on our own. But in your power and in your promptings, Holy Spirit, we can move on. And not only move on, some of us are at a point we can't do anything about the past. We can't change anything, but we can live this day forward giving grace again and again and again and again and again. We do not deserve it, but you have given us more than we deserve. And we say thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.